Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. Just to warn you, about the first 14 minutes of this episode is Chris and I talking about his vacation and things like that. It's interesting for us, but if you're not interested in that, I recommend you go directly to about the 14-minute mark, 14 and a half minutes now. That's when we get into our review of the D&D movie. There we go. Well, good morning and welcome home, Chris. Thank you, Jeremy. How are you? I'm very well, actually, but you've had a more exciting two weeks than I have. Maybe. Because I've, I've been in your country. Yes. No yes. So, okay. So you haven't done any gaming, obviously, <laughs> no. uh, but you've done a lot of adventuring of a sort. So why don't you tell us about that? Tell us about your vacation really quickly and how it intersects with and overlaps our hobbies, because I think it does. I think for some of it definitely does. Yeah. Because it was this. So, yeah, for the last two weeks, we, we, we went to Florida, which was mostly Disney. We, we had one night uh, a universal hotel, but that gave us fast passes for two days. So I remember we, we turned up at kind of six o'clock Florida time. But for us, that was sort of 11 o'clock at night. And I was like, well, Mimiki, you know, this is late. Annie's going to be shattered. We, we can just go into park quickly. And we stayed until basically closing. So at that point, that was 10 o'clock Florida time, which for us was sort of three in the morning. <laughs> we, were st- <laughs> well, see, we were still going. So. You know what, though? At that point, it's not late anymore. No. It's early. But. Yeah. So, you know, we were just kind of going on adrenaline and being in the, you know, going on, go being in Hogsmeade. Like we had tea in the, in the, like the restaurant um, that you, you'd said. I didn't have, I didn't have, uh, I didn't have shepherd's pie or whatever it was. I had what did you else. think of the food though? I thought the food that was pretty good actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was also quite reasonably priced to what we considered like paid for the, like, so the following night we ended up going, I think again, we stayed at Universal basically all day. And the mm-hmm. fast pass of Mesa, in a day and a half, we did every single ride we wanted and bunched multiple times to then have to, you know, queue for everything for the next yeah. two weeks. Um, so that made a massive difference. So we didn't leave until sort of nine o'clock on our second night. And then we had a 10 o'clock check-in at the very latest at the place we were staying. And we needed to go to a supermarket to get foods. We kind of left just before nine, literally checked in, drove to the supermarket, got some food. And there was a subway there and we paid way more for a subway out of any kind of park than we did for meals for us in the park. Subway is terrible. It was the case. That was, that's what was there. And that's it was what was, yeah, I know. I understand. There's, there, there's a point so at which like, you, you feed, you don't eat, you don't dine, um, you just feed because you like, must, but wow, how could this ended up being so expensive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was crazy. Whereas like the rest of it, we kind of did a mix of the next week of, you know, cause we, we basically always ate, I think apart from one morning, we always had breakfast at our place because mm-hmm. you know, it's just so much, so much cheaper. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, we had, we had, easier. we pretty much always had, we just took sandwiches with us every day. So it was only the, I think one day, one or two days, maybe we ate out at lunch and there was a few times in the evening we ate out, um, you know, like, and then they like the odd, you know, character experience and stuff where we'd have to pay, but yeah, that first meal at Hogsmeade wasn't, wasn't horrendously expensive. So that was, how did you ride the train back and forth? Uh, we did. Yeah. We rode it the wrong way because we were, we were at the islands of adventure and right. we then went the other way. Um, because yeah, I think the second day Mika and I, we, oh, we wanted to go on, we wanted to go on the, the motorbike 
well, I say we, they wanted to go on the motorbike. I almost got out of the queue, having queued in it. Like we got there, thought, oh, we get there at open and we'll be fine. And of course we got there at op- a little bit after open, I guess. And there was already like an hour and a half queue because it was broken. Mm. And so we were just in this queue. So like actually the first two hours of us being at Universal on the second day was us in the, in the Hagrid's motorbike queue because that doesn't have fast passes. Wow. And so we were just stuck in this queue and like by the point we actually got near it and I saw the ride and I was like, I can't do this. And they were like, no, you can. And I did it. And I, I think I enjoyed half the ride and then the second half the ride hated. Um, and I, I, did, I rode the motorbike and my hands at the end where there's like grooves on the things and they were just marked into my hands because I've been gripping it that tight. What I, did I, hate, you, uh, I hate rides. What did you think of the, uh, the, the line that goes through uh, Gringotts Bank? uh did we do, uh did we fast pass yeah we must have had fast pass in that so i don't know if, i think we saw some of it because yeah we, you go through the actual bank itself yeah and we just went another way um it was good because i've been to warner brothers within the last six like the harry potter studios thing they have the same set exactly of that uh-huh. in the harry potter studio so it was like oh this is nice but i've seen this recently so eh, it was it was okay um but yeah that was i mean it was it was just it was it was cool um that i like that the the one down so hogsmeade i think we enjoyed more because we went to hogsmeade it was very late at night it was pretty empty mm. when we were in um diagon alley it was crawling yeah that's was, yeah and you couldn't move um and we kind that's of were there when for, we were there too and it was hot but it, it, it was so busy and we're like this is ridiculous we can't we can't like literally can't just can't get in any of the shops it's like this is just silly um which was then what happened at Disney for like the next two weeks. That's yeah. not doing it. There was, there was days it wasn't. Um, but yeah, then we basically did the rest of our time at Disney um, where, you know, Magic Kingdom was Magic Kingdom. Um, but I, I, I loved being in, being in Hollywood studios. I think we all basically said the same things. The Galaxy's Edge was our favorite area of any of the parks we went to because it felt like being on a Star Wars set, except mm. all the people there pretended they were really in in star wars which was cool and the, like the you know smugglers run and rise of resistance are both amazing and they feel like you're actually in you're playing like a real world i mean rise of resistance is like a almost a full-on role-playing experience because none of the other people break character the things that were iffy for us is the first time we rode it it broke down but it broke oh. down just after like a surprise thing so then the second time right like the first one we're like this is amazing oh my goodness but then the second time around it's like well we don't know how it ends and so we've lost that immersion kind of that we had going the first time. So that, that was really irritating. And then we realized that that's kind of a common occurrence that that ride breaks down. I, it was oh. broken like twice a day, every single time we were at Hollywood Studios. And, and unluckily we were, one of the, we were on it one of the times it broke down. But Rise of Resistance is amazing. And just like, just it, the whole, whole, if everything else had been rubbish, it would have been worth it just for oh. that. But everything else was great. Well, but I, I love that. And yeah, the whole Galaxy's Edge kind of experience is it was just, awesome i loved it so now do you want to dump your 5e game and go play star wars yeah part of me does yeah <laughs> i knew that was going to happen <laughs> um or i mean i won't off. because of this because i you know as good as the because the, the star wars game has you know it's good and bad it's not it's yeah. not perfect the role-playing game it's a big change of sort of faffing around trying to get it I'm trying to download a new image and every single thing I find is a flipping WebP file, which you have to then convert. Well, I'm bored now. Uh, yeah, it was, it was good. I mean, yes, yeah, certainly some of the, some of the areas are, are cool and we really enjoyed Epcot. And I think partly because each of those areas does to some extent feel some are better than others, but like each of the little, yeah, each of the little things feel like 
being in that country, yeah, yeah. sort of. Um, we joked before we, we went into the British area, the secretary at Epcot, and Ali was like, "What if these little corgis in in the shop?" Because we there's like row upon row of corgis, and he's like, "This is ridiculous. No one has corgis in this country." <laughs> Somebody did. We kind of think, well, that's probably what all the other areas are like, Ali. That to us, we're like, "Oh, these are really genuine," but actually, they're not. They're little caricatures of although, the. Although the uh, the funny thing is, there are. Year, I mean, and I have not been, I haven't been to Epcot in 25 years, but having been to, um, having been to parts of Mexico and been through like markets and been uh, just, just like the vibe of, you know, a bunch of stuff for sale and lots of people hustling and bustling and that kind of thing. There, there, the, there was at least 25 years ago, there was a portion of the, uh, mexico pavilion that it, there was a portion of it that that felt like it it was it was kind of that was fun um i do remember many many years ago going to the norway pavilion and i remember everyone like all the norwegians who worked there it was over the, it was over a summer and so there were a bunch of college students working there from norway and they were all tall and and so finally i asked them i said i was like I, this may sound corny, but like, are you all that tall? Like they were all like the the men, the, the guys, the girls, they're all like six feet tall. And, uh, and they joked and they said, yeah. And they said there was one guy, Norwegian guy who worked there, uh, who was short and he was like their token short guy. Cause the rest of, oh, here you go. Cause everyone else was, uh, I was like, I guess there's, there's your Viking roots, but, um, good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And it seemed like your, your travel there and back was pretty uneventful. Yeah, they were fun. Yeah, it's funny. So I think Pithing's being genuine. In the there was a restaurant in the French area where, which served crepes and, and what they call galettes. Galettes are savory crepes. Now we didn't know that until the last time we went to France, which was what 2019. And the area we went to, that's what you did if you went out for lunch. You couldn't get a sandwich. You you had a savory crepe. That was that was your options. And so having eaten them loads, we actually went there. We ended up going back a second time because we enjoyed it so much. Thinking, no, this is genuine. Like that is how they cook the food. There. Good. Um, so yeah, I think Epcot, I mean, Epcot was Mika's favorite area. Um, I enjoyed Indiana because it was the only thing that was close to a roller coaster that I went on and didn't hate because I went on test track twice. And I was like, that does 65 miles an hour. That's reasonably fast. Uh, because it's in a car, it just feels like it's being yeah. in a car as opposed to being strapped onto some bit of metal flying around. A yeah, I'm, I am not a, uh, I'm not a bar fried person i mean i could do the harry Potter, those two harry potter rides i can do space mountain i can do all those kinds of things but roller coaster that goes upside down those really yeah. fast no those like i i well because i really don't like heights i also couldn't cope with the other harry potter rides either because there's too much of like hey you're flying down in something and my oh, brain yeah. is like you're gonna die and i'm like ah so i'm closing my eyes that the, a lot of the motion simulators were hilarious because Mika gets really bad motion sickness on. Like Mika can't watch me play some computer games because she, she will get motion, motion sickness. Sick. So she gets motion sickness on almost every motion simulator. The minute there's any kind of sideways or anything movement, she has to close her eyes. And anytime it looks like I'm falling off something, I'm closing my eyes. So we're on these roller coasters, we're on these motion simulators, particularly in Universal, where almost every ride is a motion simulator. Mm -hmm. where, we're saying like, Annie, when it stops doing it, tap our hands. And so we're, you know, we're sitting there with our eyes closed. <laughs> while Annie's enjoying all these rides and tapping our hands to say like, it's okay, it doesn't look like you're falling anymore. Yeah, it's like the Transformers. Well. It's like Spider-Man, I fire enough, I knew I'd be flying through the sky. I didn't really understand why on the Transformers one, I ended up on the top of a building. 
I was I was in a car. How did the car? I don't know how it got there because I closed my eyes as it starts going. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was good. We had a lot of fun. Good. I'm um, glad. I'm glad for you. And now it's cold being back no, in. It's, now it's cold. It's not even that cold in Britain, but compared to what it was like in Florida, it's freezing. You suddenly got you 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 got a little used to the comfort. That's cool. Yeah. Well, well, I did. I, I played my regular five uh, E session two weeks ago, so we're we're chugging along in that. And then this last Saturday, because our GM was out, um, I ran a play test of my two D twenty fantasy game and uh, got some really good feedback. Like some things worked the way I wanted them to work, the way I'd envisioned that they would work. And then there was there was there the magic system is the uh, that's the I wouldn't say it's the problem, but that's where the that's where the pain points are right now is yeah. figuring out how to make this spell system that I've envisioned work with without writing so many rules that it becomes Pathfinder uh, or being so vague that you might as well just write do what you want. And that's the whole magic system. So trying to find that balance and keep it within the kind of like higher action cinematic vibe rulings over rules type of thing of what I want and what 2d20 I think can do that's that's the challenge but we had a we had a good session and uh learned some things and made some revisions and I'm at like 70 something thousand words and you're still going <laughs> I mean it's going to be about 200 pages that's including now I I am I'm glad you're sitting. You're going to disagree with me. Uh, I am including a, an adventure in the book. Yeah, but you're not publishing it in a PDF. I don't have an issue with that because yeah, I guess yeah, it's you know the kind of thing like if you were going to print it, and I've done this, I've printed PDFs. You print what you want. Yeah, yeah. So you don't have to print the the adventure. Yeah. It's not like you're going to print it. But in a printed book, when I you're paying for that word count, that's that's when I that's it's always good, yeah. that 20 okay. pages of word count could have been more monsters or more GM section or anything like that. Yeah. But it's um, coming together. It's coming together. I hope within the next couple of weeks I'll have it out. Good stuff. Um, but today for this week's episode and actually this is crazy this is about this is the the soonest to release we've recorded in a really long time yeah because this will be out so when this releases on wednesday we only recorded this on days. the preceding monday so yeah two yeah days. yeah so this is actually current and your background does it so we're going to review and talk about like the game reactions and the game dimensions and the story itself of the dungeons and dragons movie which we now have both seen so first off, what is your elevator pitch? What is your shortest review? Two to three sentences. What did you think of it? I mean, I I, I really I enjoyed it. It was it was a lot of fun, and and it did feel, in some ways negatively, but it felt like a D and D party on a on a D and D adventure, and including various things where you think that's the GM. Yeah that's the GM railroad and then that's the GM messing with the party. Um, you know, that, that kind of stuff, it actually, which get kind of gives it a get out clause in one way, but yeah, that's to mean? me, it felt, it, it was good fun. Um, it introduced some cool stuff and it felt like people playing D and D, but you know, with really good effects for stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah, you know what? And, oh, and by the way, if you're listening and you haven't seen the movie, spoilers are plenty. Spoilers ahoy. So if you have not seen it and you don't want to have parts of it ruined, you should come back to this after you've seen it. So you've been warned. Uh, yeah, I agree. I enjoyed it. I thought fun is the fun's the word that I would hold up the most. Um, it was not a a deep or profound story, but it also at the same time it, it was. I don't think it was frivolous or stupid. Nope. Like it. It wasn't like I am not a fan at all of like Jim Carrey style humors. That's just like it's it's fart jokes and stupidity and and like behavior that no like nobody acts like that kind of stupid stuff it wasn't something like that at all uh it was a it was a good story it was an interesting enough story that had enough depth to like underpin the fun so you felt like you weren't just stuffing cheetos in your mouth uh, if that makes any sense i mean um yeah, yeah, there were, yeah, I would give it a solid B plus, maybe an A minus, maybe an yeah, A Yeah, I think I'd be that. I mean, I kind of got to think, you know, did I enjoy it? I, I definitely enjoyed it. Where the problems with the plot? Yeah, but like I said, to me, there's a lot of films I've watched recently, which I, I can sit there and enjoy. Like I was watching the second, Jura no, not second, third Jurassic World film on the plane back the other day, because I've already seen it and I knew that if I had to switch it off halfway through, which I did to go to sleep, I, I would be fine with that. Yeah. Um, and the plot of that is just nonsensical and it's just, it, you can tell it someone's written some set pieces yeah. with no reason to get from one to the other. Now the D and D doesn't really feel like that, but to some extent there are, we want this scene and we want this scene and how are we going to these scenes together? That's how a D and D adventure is written on to the extent, whole, yeah. like, you know, you come just, up with like tent pole encounters. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, this is, this is often where I have, you know, my, my biggest trouble. I'll come up with ideas that are like your big pieces, but then you think, how do I connect them together? No, I, I thought the movie, I thought that it, um, before we get into details of it, I mean, I, I thought that the story made sense. The story flowed. It didn't feel like it was um, one big action scene. No to the next to the next another thing that uh, several people i've talked with who who saw it uh and, and actually shared similar reactions to it something that we really appreciated was that cgi sat in the background like yeah i, I think I they did a good job of the cgi was there to serve the purpose rather yes. than cgi for cgi's sake well cgi for the like to cover up for the fact that the that the acting sucks the script is crap and the plot is is obvious and and stupid. I mean, that's yeah. that's every Transformers movie is that. It's it's like we're just going to bury you in CGI because we actually don't have a quality movie. Uh, Star Wars prequels, <clears throat> same thing yeah. as far as I'm concerned. This the, the CGI supplemented it, enhanced yeah. it, didn't take the place of, and I appreciate that. That's yeah, I think my only my only real criticism is the kind of it did it it felt it bitty in the sense that like they have an initial thing they're doing and then then they're doing another thing to get to this thing and then that doesn't quite work so there's a it kind of gives but again that actually felt more like what would what happens in a dnd game you know it doesn't not every film has to be a very similar at the start of the film right here's the end and we're going to spend the whole yeah. film getting to that end with things on the way this was kind of where we're going to do this thing. oh that didn't work right well, we're going to try this other thing okay well that hasn't got to and eventually you know at the end of the whole thing um they well they sort of stumble onto yeah. something else which is kind of how D D works i i 
I'd like to give the benefit of the doubt and say that's intentional, not that they sort of bumbled their way through it and made up the script. I mean, the, you know, the people who directed it basically also did the script and seemed to yeah. be, this isn't one of those things where the script's changed or they're writing the script on the fly or where they've had to change directors and you can tell it's got different people. Yeah. Um, I definitely got the people, you know, the feeling people in charge of that had a lot of love for the, for D and D as a whole and went to it. I mean, I thought it was an interesting choice, sorry, spoilers, but, but it is properly set in the forgotten realms. I mean, yeah. I, you know, but not in a it's something that I'll I'll throw in there that I I think is is really was great. Like my wife and I went and saw it. She doesn't know yeah. any. I mean, you know, uh, didn't know anything about this stuff. There was nothing about it, and I appreciated this. There was there was nothing. There was no informational gatekeeping. Like you didn't need to know about the Sword Coast or whatever. You didn't you didn't know about Waterdeep and Neverwinter and that kind of stuff. Those things were presented in a way that I I thought that the the scriptwriters did a really good job of of presenting those things in a way that they communicated their their place and their importance without like and without just going on and on and on or presenting them in the way where you'd have to have that inside baseball knowledge to make sense of them. By the way, just thought of this. For you GMs out there who are prone to long bouts of exposition, you, the frustrated storyteller or frustrated novelist who feels the need to talk for 20 minutes to cue up the great history of it, you don't have to. You know, it, it, especially for a known property like this, if you're running something in a setting that's already made, I mean, I, I think you could take you could take advice from how this movie yeah. presented those things. It just laid them out as like, you know. Yeah, they were very good at you know the Waterdeep. It's another city. Baldur's Gate is a city. Right. Um, the Harpers, they're good guys. The Zentrum, yeah. they're bad guys. And you don't um, need five Zentrum, minutes of history yeah. about it. And it was these, they just dropped these names in. So if you knew the names, you're like, oh, cool. And then they it was just a name drop. Yep. It did. It didn't matter. It wasn't. In, it wasn't super important to the plot. Um, but, you know, they drop these things that just like there's lots of things you can see. So they drop in a lot of races. I mean, it, the only one that pulled me out of it, they drop in the cat race, which yeah. there's never a real, you know, they, they, they currently they're calling them tabaxi in, in D&D books. But it's just they're cat people. And for some reason, they don't want to call them cat people. But they looked awful. I couldn't work out whether they was really bad CG or really bad. Yeah, that, and that I've heard people terrible. comment on that, too. And then the. Uh, the, the 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 little baby thing yeah that was um yeah, that was shocking. the only piece where it's, it it's like well, I, it, yeah i couldn't work out why it was wrong but it was just like that doesn't look wrong whereas they had dragon ball that looked fitting and they had like the again the instead of calling them bird people like you know aracock or whatever they're called which looked great i always I mean, want to call them krakatoas <laughs> but they just kind of look you know they looked they looked silly, but they they fit. I mean, how you know? How can you have a guy that's a bird person with wings that doesn't look a bit silly? But yeah, they're not to the level of the cat people who sits in a chair um, with a bag. But yeah, as, as a whole, I, that's the stuff I liked. Yeah, um, yeah. I thought that I. I you you want to get to to nitpicky or things that you didn't like? I don't. I, well, like I said the uh, the cat thing being there and the plotting being a bit haphazard, but I. I'm not sure it wasn't deliberate. That's the only things I'd really. Yeah, I, I actually thought that the I thought the, that the plot worked in that they start off with this. You 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 get this background context as to why they are, uh, you know, the the bard and the barbarian, the barbarian, who they are, why they're connected, why they're in the state that they're in. Okay, so you get a little bit of background, 
and that worked. And then you get them going off to say, okay, we, we need to find this thing to do this thing. Okay. So then they're going to go collect people that they know who can help them. Okay. This makes sense. Then they realize there's a left turn that they have to take in order to accomplish the thing that they're after or get the thing that they're after. And in that, that then becomes the the actual push of the story is to accomplish this thing so they can do this uh, they can get this artifact the artifact then becomes something that says something about the characters and their relationships at the very end but getting it is actually secondary it's the thing that they have to do and then the moment that they have to choose to be heroes that's what the story is is really all about and the only thing that i in the whole movie, yeah, the, the cat person thing was it was it was weird. It was like being at a comic book convention and like yeah. the furry was there, uh, and and it was just odd. The um, the only thing that I I had a few times where I got a little twitchy was I think that Chris Pine played the bard right up to the edge of obnoxious, <laughs> and I don't mean obnoxious in like bards because they're terrible. I mean like he he played it almost to the point of it being hammy and if he if he would have overplayed the character if he would have pushed it a little bit farther he would have been playing a caricature like i remember seeing an interview with him many many years ago when he was talking about how he um went about deciding how to play uh james kirk yeah and he said that one thing that he had to really focus on was not playing William Shatner playing Jim Kirk. He had to focus on playing Jim Kirk. Otherwise, he would be a caricature. And I think he was right up to the edge of being a caricature of the, the, the somewhat obnoxious player who's always trying to be funny and cute and always trying to drop jokes and things like that. Uh, but I think he, he didn't go past it. He was right up to the edge. Yeah. One last I thing about him. And I'll, I'll, I'll ask, well, what do you think about this? We were talking about this on, on Saturday some, and I've, I've seen some chatter about this online. People are not arguing, thankfully. Give it time. Uh, but questioning whether his character actually is a bard. Yeah, or I'll is it a rogue I'll... pretending yeah. to be a bard? Because if you're going to get all 5e ruley, aside from strumming that little instrument... He really didn't, he didn't, there were no spells. He did not, you know what I mean? There was nothing bard-like aside from his assertion and his instrument That's what that that's what he was. I'll come back to that because I think we okay. can talk about some of the things that like how it does link to role-playing games as a whole, but also specifically mm. D&D. Um, yeah, I read, I, I saw this glimpse of a headline somewhere, but I didn't read the article where it kind of saying, how they show different kind of different ways of charisma in it. So like Chris Pine's obviously meant to be a char charismatic character. But his is all like knowing winks and jokes and deception and that kind of thing. But clearly he's, he has high charisma. And I, yeah. I think he did a really good job of like being a character that actually some people would find obnoxious because some people don't like him. Some people just straight up like you're right. annoying. Um, and then you've got the you know paladin guy who's clearly just meant to be smoldering and super good looking. And some people are like, ah, oh, he's lovely. And then other people are like, no, you're I straight thought he was awful. perfect. I thought he was great. I thought the I think, walking over the rock, that was... <laughs> That was the perfect, like, we've all had that player who plays the lawful good, just like chaotic, chaotic neutrals, like chaotic asshole. 
There's yeah. sometimes like lawful good is like lawful stupid. It's like, no, I said I'm going to do that. I'm da 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 da. You're like Dudley do right and you're obnoxiously so. And that walking over the rock was such a nod to that kind of character. I've, I've, I've read an interview about that with the directors and they said that like in every other time they'd like, they would cut before he got that far. And one time they just said, let's just keep the cameras rolling and let's see what he does. And he just walked, and just walked over the rock. It was perfect. It and they could, like, so that was just the actor. They didn't know what he was going to do because they were just like, let's normally they would have, they cut before and move back to another shot. And they just, no, that, that guy, that guy was, he was so perfect because he, yeah. he got it without, again, without making it a caricature or like a, a paladin, a real legit, like first or second edition paladin, in my view, would never, never make wouldn't go out of his way to like needle you about what a paladin he is he would just oh, oh he would just be it um so yeah we start talking about some games i want to i want to bring up something yeah. which i haven't read and pointed out anywhere so well, it doesn't mean i'm not the first person to notice it um but barbarian character there's something yeah. i realized about halfway through i kept noticing they kept making subtle dig to the fact that she's not very bright but it, it's relatively, it's the odd thing where she says something, everybody looks kind of like, You're, why you, you know, that's really dumb. Why would you say that? And no one now outright calls her out for being stupid. But it was a point, you know, there's only three or four bits in the film where she either mm, says something or, or acts something where it's like, that's, that's not too bright. I think, oh, actually, maybe they are playing with the fact that she's a barbarian and bar the classic barbarian has like a really low intelligence stat. And obviously no one else is going to say she's dumb to her face because she'd kick their ass. So, um, but there were a few if, points I like, I wonder if, it, if that was yeah. a point, I didn't, I didn't pick that. Well, up like I said, point. like I, I literally was sort of two or three things. I thought, okay. huh, but it was only about the third thing. I was like, she just says something really dumb. I wonder if they're doing that on purpose to make out that, you know, she's streetwise yeah. and she's got wisdom and stuff. But actually when it comes to just sort of intelligence and knowing stuff, she's, she's, she's not there. Um, and it's not not important. Mm. Um, but if they did that on purpose, like, oh, yeah, um, yeah, the bard thing's an interesting one because he could just be a rogue, but then he doesn't do any fighting either. Now, true. One way to look at it would be the fact that if you look at if you look at bards in five, it's kind of like rangers. Right, rangers have spells in five e, but if you look at the rangers in a certain way, their spells are things like stuff you could do with poultices, or it's a special arrow, or it's traps. And you could make an argument for rangers actually having no magic at all. It's all like tradecraft. Right. Now, arguably, the same thing could be applied to a bard, that you could say the bard is actually they're lifting people up with their music. It's um, how they say things, their words. And it's not so much that they're doing magic, because obviously in old editions, a magic, a, a bard really was like a, a wizard slash rogue. But you could argue that bards aren't doing magic at all anyway. They are doing, you know, depending on what spells you pick. Yeah. Depending on what spells you pick, it is just, um, you know, it's, it's, it's all natural. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that would counteract that is that I read the prequel book before it, and at some point in the prequel book, it makes some mention of his magic. And there was one point in the film, I, can't, I think it was something to do with that helmet, or the like the guy, you know, like every time the every time the sorcerer puts the helmet yeah. on, we talk about the sorcerer. Now, there's that guy there. And I'm there was one of the things he said to me made me think that he's actually saying that someone else in the party would be better off with that helmet, which made me wonder if he Maybe. was talking about the bard actually saying that the bard he has magical powers, he just hasn't tapped into them. So it was literally one little reference in the one little re reference in the book and one little thing in the film that made me think well i wonder if he has got magic powers and he just doesn't want to use them for or he's never tapped into them um 
because he doesn't use anything roguey other than the fact that he picks, you know, he, he can do lock picking and he's sneaky, but any character can do that with the right skills. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he's a bit weird that he, he doesn't really match any kind of class at all. Right. Um, to any extent. I thought that the, the, the barbarian worked. Uh, I thought that, that, uh, you know, it, it, it worked as a character. I don't, I, I, I wondered on a couple of occasions, like when she would yell, yeah. When fighting, like, is that supposed to represent rage? Cause that's a soft sell of rage. If that's the case. I, I think, I like- think that was, I think that's a good nod to people like us that know what a barbarian rage is without having to explain how right. a barbarian rage works. Which yeah. Is cause that could, anyway. that could be really tedious. Like afterwards, like, Oh, I am now tired because I have rage. You know, the, then it becomes this, then it becomes stupid exposition that breaks the, the, the flow of the story. Yeah. I mean, I'd argue that the sorcerer guy, to me, he's a, he's a wizard, not a sorcerer, because he seems to be like, I mean, it's a thing is, it's a really picky distinction between what is what. He's clearly not a warlock, but in 5e terms, there's parts of me, okay, I know he doesn't have a book, but he seems to have like, you know, almost like gadget things that he has to use to cast his spells like he's got, you know, and they, the book, the rules very clearly call it out that you do not have to have a book. You just have to have something your spells are recorded in. And to me, he felt more like he was casting spells by rote as opposed to he had an inherent ability to do magic, which is what sorcerers are meant to be. But then that's one of those things you often do anyway, because they go, well, we don't want to call him a wizard because that's Harry Potter. So we're going to call him a sorcerer. Now, yes, it means a different thing in terms of the rules, but as far as anyone else is concerned, it's a guy that does magic. You know, I I think to the credit of uh, of the writers, I think that someone who didn't know anything about D and D rules, but who, got interested in learning it or playing it because of watching the movie. I don't think that there's anything that they would look at and say like, wait, wait, wait. Oh, you know, he, he was supposed to be a sorcerer. Like, wait, that doesn't make any sense, you know, or he's supposed to be a paladin. I don't understand why that. I, I think that's that they, they did well enough without trying to directly explicitly model the rules. Yeah. as character well, classes like course, model because them, i thought and now you this, move to the 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 druid because the everyone people. this is you know this is the one on the internet isn't it she can shape shift into an albert that's not allowed yeah it is it's really simple there's two ways of doing it one you just say you can shape shift into an albert or number two you get your monster manual and you write the word beast done there you go you know i that is a perfect example of where fandom and geekdom you just there are times where you just want to beat someone with a rolled up newspaper not to hurt them but to like hurt their pride you just yeah. want to slap them around with a sunday edition of a newspaper because you're like what is what is wrong with you like why are you being such a jackass and beating someone over the head with your mastery of made up stuff like Give me a break. Yeah, people bitching about that is, is just ridiculous. I thought that the way that it was portrayed, uh, I thought the, look, the Hulk smash at the end of Avengers <laughs> was honestly, the owlbear bested that. Yeah. The owlbear and the and the, the red wizard, the, the treatment of the red wizard at the end, that was perfect. I, I loved that. I've still seen that criticized for just ripping off the Avengers and you're like, well, and? It was funny, so it's, it was still funny. Yeah, but, but there, there are so many people who sit around on their, their little keyboard <clears throat> warriors 
and they have maybe they don't have a whole lot in the real world so they're masters and gods of the made-up world and they get very jealous when people don't worship their ideas it's just stupid i said but, the other day, like i mean re realistically they could have had her turn into a bear now you can do that by the rules sure. and it wouldn't be any different in any of those scenes they made a town into an owlbear because, well, that's a bit more interesting. Because it was cooler. Into a and it, yeah. it, fit, it fit the property. It was this fantastical creature. And you'd say, what is that? And I mean, even the, I mean, when you think about it, an owlbear, like what was someone on where they're like, hey, Gygax is like, let's combine an owl and a bear. That'll <laughs> be a good monster. You know, let's have a, a, a skunk raptor. You know, like what? I think it doesn't it doesn't do anything different. Everything she does is is yeah. just what a bear could do. Yeah. So it's nothing it's nothing game breaking bad. Fun. The fact that it's an owl bear is kind of irrelevant. Now, so, how about yeah. forget about the owl bear? Forget about her wild shape. How about her the the like the place of her character as a druid in the story? Did it work? Did she work as a druid? Did it work as a druid within that that story? What do you think? I think she's the one that doesn't fully fit into the party, but then also that's the way kind of it's set. You know, the others are basically, you know, we've got like thief bard, thief barbarian, thief rogue, thief sword. The others are all, they're all thieves. Um, and they're all stealing stuff. She's rich, literally the one that, you know, you, you can see is where they created a party where they've got all of these and right. Well, someone's play a druid. Ooh, how are we going to fit a druid in? Uh, and you know, they, this guy, the guy's like, well, I know a person that might help us out because her interests are aligned. And yeah, that is how you have to cram it people worked. in. I, I thought so it worked. I think that was, and, you know, that was fine. She seems, I mean, they managed to cram a paladin into the party. And that's how do you get a paladin into a bunch of thieves? Well, actually, because he's the guy that knows where the thing they need is. And you know, unfortunately, and I thought too, not in a film as long. I, I thought, especially with, well, with both the paladin and the druid, I don't remember the names of any of these characters, so I'm just calling them by their class. The Paladin and the Druid, both of them had, and I love this because it felt like the, the, the writers did a nod to the overwrought backstory. Like, my character, yeah. you, you can't just have a character who's like, yeah, I grew up in, like, a military family, and I'm in the I was in the military, now I'm adventure. No one can have, like, the, everyone has to have nowadays, like, the, not nowadays, it's been this way for, you know, ages, people write their backstories, and everyone has, there's a degree of, like, my tortured backstory, like, you know. Like when people go on singing competition shows, they don't say, you know, my whole family encourages me. The refrain is always, everyone tells me I can't make it. I'm going to show them. Your tortured backstory, I felt like both of them had a, a healthy nod to I, that. I, I hadn't even thought that. Yeah, he, the Paladin in particular is properly over the top with how oh, tragic yeah. and awful. You know, we actually get the flashback with his tortured, yeah. awful backstory. Um yeah, it's a bit of a shame, actually, having gone over how bad his backstory is, that he then isn't there. I'm sorry, spoilers, but he's not there at the end. Um, although you can work that out from watching the trailer that he isn't there when they're fighting the bad guys. So. Well, and, um, yeah, and then he pops up at the very, you know, with what's his, with the with uh, Hugh, what's his face's, what's his name? Last guy. Can't. Yeah. Him. Uh, that That character. Um, that if there's a sequel, you're sure he's going to be in it. I mean, I think he'd have, he'd have to be in it again because he, yeah. he was great. Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully next time they'd all be a bit more heroic so they could be doing something that it's appropriate for him to be in there. Um, what about other nods to particular game or game logic or beasties? I, I've got one that I really liked. 
Go ahead. I've got one too. So I mean, it might could be the same one. Um, so this is properly spoilerific. So if you haven't seen the film and you've been still listening to us, stop listening. This is a great bit. The whole scene with them um, using the speak with dead spell to talk to people, I just love because it just felt like a DM dicking with them. Because every time they ask a question, he's like, that's that's a question. No, no, that doesn't count. Does that count? Yes. That's another question, by the way. And they just, and the fact that they just kind of had to go through dead person after dead person after dead person. You just felt this is a DM who's like, right, you've got this spell. I'm going to get the best use out of it I can. You're going to have to ask multiple people. Every single time you ask a question wrong, um, I'm going to use that way. It's like, you know, the wishes one where you, any GM ever will use the wishes to just not do work the way you want them to and it just felt i just i was you know despite the fact i thought it was a really funny scene anyway they're just this whole extra level to me it's just like i imagine this dm just dicking with these players and just laughing oh i'm so funny and all the players being like oh you're such an asshole can you stop it i just i loved that it was so good that was just great it, yeah that was that was well done it was one of those like meta moments sure. that you you have this thought well what about this and then you know uh you know, like like I, I remember when and I, I think I might have mentioned this a while ago on the show, but when I was a kid playing a druid and you know what don't is it druids? Don't they have a, a stone to flesh? Uh well, did they? The other way. It's a way no, it must be the other way around. That'd be weird. No, it's stone to flesh because it's Ugh. it's it's changing because it's paralysis from like Medusa or Basilisk. Oh, uh, okay. So it was it was the it was the spell that was created to solve that one problem. And I remember my character when they were like, oh, the DM was like, oh, we're, we're starving. We have no food. I was like, okay, I'm going to find some rocks and turn them to flesh and cook them. <laughs> you know, like, okay, what can't you do? Can you do that? And so I remember imagining these like these river rocks of, of like jiggly flesh <laughs> cooking over a fire. Um, I thought that the, uh, I thought that the arena fight had a, a couple of really good things. And I thought the displacer beast was really well done. Yeah. I don't, the, you know, I'm not like cute or I, whatever. I thought that was a, they, they portrayed the thing. Well, uh, I liked what they did with the mimic. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a problem with the way they treated the, um, gelatinous cube because it's not like you get consumed immediately. No, it does damage over time. It does so, some yeah. damage over time. I so I thought that the the gelatinous cube was cool. I think that they maybe should have like made them look a little like singed or acid scorched coming out of it. But whatever, who's to complain? Um, I also thought that the inclusion of the D and D cartoon characters was absolutely perfect. Where's Uni? Nobody knows. But that was the fact that, that, that was kind of a blink and you'll miss it thing because I saw them and was kind of like, wait. Was that? And then they may, and then they come back, and I'm like, oh my god, it is. That's how well, the only the only game. way that could have been made more perfect is if Bobby the Barbarian would have said Uni at some point and look for that damn unicorn. Um, yeah, uh, I thought that was that was brilliant. And then you know yeah, they're hiding in a great. cage at the end. I would assume unless they got out of that cage and ran away, they're dead because of the 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 uh the the thing and magic that was funny because I, I really wasn't expecting that at all to uh oh you didn't know that was coming no i had no idea that they'd like crammed them in there so i had no idea that they were going to be and then suddenly we wait, wait what yeah. that, what and there they i were. thought that that whole arena scene was it, it was a couple of things like i said the displacer beast the D, &D uh cartoon party 
I think that as an idea or an example of like, if you want a big gonzo magic, high action, kind of crazy over the top set piece scene slash encounter, that's a great example of one. Obviously, if you did something like that too often, you know, it would become lame because you would just, it, it wouldn't be special anymore because it would be, you know, typical. But I thought that as a, as inspiration for a GM going like, not necessarily to do the same thing, but like that you could have a big, you know, like that, that's a big showy encounter. Uh, I thought that was, that was really well done. Yeah. What else? Uh Oh, uh, wait, you know what? It's funny. I, I had a 2D20 moment while I was watching the movie. <laughs> and I forget, when was it exactly? There was a, um, golly, what was it? That uh, Chris Pine's character threw a, a rope like around the neck of or something and the thing galloped off and then he's, he looked down and his feet were caught in the rope and whoosh, he got pulled off. Yeah, I can't remember. That sounds about right. I that When that happened... I thought to myself, you can't do that in 5e. Rules is written. No, technically not. Because 2D, but you can in 2D20 <clears throat> because if the player rolled a complication and a success, you could do yeah. that. Yeah. So That's there, there was, that, that was me watching the movie. I look at it now, see, it's, it's kind of made a disappointment. It's, it's made a reasonable amount of money, but not as much money as I'd be hoping it's making. Yeah. It's doing well. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. Like a, I mean, it's made more money than. Well, actually, the only big film that's made more money than this year is, is Shazam, which is not a surprise. But Shazam's not doing all that well. No, I mean, but then that TV. should have made more money. So, you know, I was, I was hoping it'd be making kind of like, well, it's not going to make Ant-Man money, but, you know, if it was making more money than yeah. I know, Creed or Scream or something. So it's, it's Maybe it'll there, get a but... slow burn. Maybe people will, you know. Hopefully. I mean, I, you know, I want to go scene. back and watch it and I haven't had a chance yet. So I can't believe that Super Mario Brothers is raking in the money, but oh well. Zero desire. <laughs> Um, what, what else, what else can we take from this? I, I think that one thing that I, a big thing actually that I, I come away with this from is that, uh, you and I talked about this actually in our, our science fiction story ideas and our fantasy story ideas, the, the notion of twists, yeah, the idea of you, you think that you're headed for a, but you're really handle it. B is really the more important thing, but, but. You have to do B to get to A, and then like A becomes the denouement at the end of the, the story, but the real climax of the story is how you solve issue B. And that's what this movie was. Yeah, I mean, like they've, they've got a relatively simple motivation of yeah. what they're trying to do, and but then to achieve that, they have to do something else. And then at the end of the film, there's something else that happens altogether, and it's almost that moment where the certain group of players might be like, we don't care. They can all die. We're just going to leave. And the play, well, in mean, this case, the PC group decide, no, we're going to go and be heroes. Which but the, 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 you know, the real, the original motivation was to go get this artifact to, uh, you know, get his, to, to, to bring his wife back so he could reunite his, bring his family back together. But then really the, the, the story is actually about saving the city from this psycho red wizard and then there's this, in the closing moments, we, we learn more about Chris Pine's character and the, you know, maybe commentary on like, what's a family, blah, 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 all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, that was quite good. I think the thing that annoyed me kind of with, well, 
I, I had no issue with his decision because they make it very clear that actually he's been together with this woman for sort of, you know, 10 right. years at that point. Actually, that's longer than he was with his wife, blah, blah, blah. It was the fact that why kill a character to just bring, again, spoilers, but why kill a character to bring them back so soon? It's one of these things you just wish like, oh, can't characters die? And I know they've got the, literally got it in the plot that they can bring someone back from the yeah. dead. But it, it's, it just takes that edge off. If you can, I mean, I guess it's like D&D &D, though. If you can kill a character and then bring them back. Um, you know, I thought it would have been nice to go all uh, search for Spock and spend a whole, well, a whole you know film what, bringing I, them back from the dead. I don't think bringing back uh, the barbarian, that was less about bringing her back and it was more about commentary mm -hmm. on his friendship with her and his looking at his his daughter and the whole this whole idea of like family and then remember that they had made it okay because beforehand they they dropped the comment about like oh you know your wife is you know she's somewhere else now and living her other unlife yeah. whatever so don't don't mess up her calendar by bringing her back is essentially what they were saying what can you pull out of this for either direct story ideas or indirect now that you want to well no but you don't want to dump you you're already playing i know i'm already played dnd i just wish i could use that i wish i could use that speak to the dead scene because <laughs> it's so good um but yeah if either of them have seen it now that's like a, a if it's kind of almost yeah. the opposite because it'd be you you it'd be hard to take things from this without people just go you're just lifting straight from the movie yeah. um i think you know like the pacing thing the fact that because you know it's, it's pretty rapid it doesn't it doesn't sit there but i think actually like you said the exposition thing things are dropped in this which are not if they're not important people don't go on and on explaining it they explain in detail what this helmet can do because yeah. the helmet's relevant to the story and then also another character's backstory and so on um but you know they don't explain the things that are necessary no one needs to hear the history of of the harpers so it doesn't go into it. harpers good guys red wizards bad guys and then they show kind of you know that they're not very nice and explain them a bit but that's it we don't get the history of neverwinter because it's not relevant it's a city well you know something beyond that if you are and here's a suggestion to a gm if you are playing if you're running a story in an established setting you, you don't have to go on about that yeah. Like unless you have a player who's like, yeah, I'm new to the game and like I, I don't know, I don't know forgotten what I don't know anything about this stuff. But even then, if you have to introduce something, you don't have to go on and on and on. You can just say, yeah, Neverwinter, it's this, it's this, you know, major city, really cosmopolitan, lots of politics, lots of money, lots of power. Um, it's like the Rome. It's like Rome, but with like magic. Okay, problem solved. Um, you, don't need to, you don't need to like project a map of the damn thing and give people yeah. a tour. You know, a couple of years ago, I, 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 I played some 5e games and, uh, and the DM would go on for, honestly, I, I would check my watch. He'd be going on for 10 to 15 minutes oh. describing like a throne room. And I get it, like in his mind, he had put so much thought and so much effort into developing this thing. But there was a point where it's like, you're here to set up the story and manage how it unfolds, but we get to play a role too, so shut up. I so think take that advice from this. And the other piece of advice but is either you'd throw this at players if you're actually playing a 5e game, or actually this, this is why, to some extent, it doesn't feel like, you already said it, it doesn't, 
you said that you know, there's points where you couldn't do this in 5e rules mm. as written it but it would work in 2d20 all of the characters are underpowered versions of what they could be we you know we have a sorcerer who half the time his spells don't work that sounds like you're either playing another system or a player who is deliberately saying i don't want you know i'm going to try this but oh it doesn't work We've and got a rules bard who doesn't that do doesn't magic. you just have to do that gm fiat yeah to do that. good point but we've got a bard who chooses not to use magic we have a barbarian who looking at it is not using half the rules she gets other than rage um we have a druid that appears to also do no magic whatsoever she just does wild shifting good point the paladin doesn't seem to do a lot else other than be really good at fighting and be good looking uh, and a rogue who seems to do nothing else other than sort of be roguey but he's not doing any backstabbing actually Although, these fit i could look at uh hugh grant's character and i could i think that maybe maybe he's like the mastermind yeah archetype but they're not you know these these are when you see people play D D, particularly well any version of D D, they are playing they're using the ability that's my main character's ability yeah. i'm going to use all the abilities to get the most out of them i can whereas in other systems people might just play their characters yeah because you don't have all these other little rules you play in your character whereas D, &D you're almost playing the class this is actually was a nice touch well here's some of the things these classes can do but then we're not going to try and tick every single last box of what a character can do um you know their background and their motivations are just as important as their their skill set whereas in D, &D i think actually the skill set is probably all in something like 2d20 it isn't you might have some things you can do so you mean like class abilities yeah yeah. Well, you know, like anything else, Savage Worlds will do the same thing. You might have one or two class abilities, but you don't have the long list, particularly as you level up, right. the long list of things you end up with. Um, but yeah, I mean, on the whole, if you've got any interest in role-playing games, I mean, I think my thing is simply, if you have any interest in role-playing games, even if you're not a big D&D &D fan, go and see the film. Because if sure. the film does well, then they'll start looking at more properties that we like to turn into film. I mean, like if this film bombs, we're not getting any more D&D &D films. So we need it to do well. But when, you know, when there was people like, if this film does, bad, does badly, then Wizards of the Coast will suffer. Well, then great. Then the whole hobby suffers. Because when Wizards of the Coast is doing well, because D&D &D is doing well, role-playing is doing well. Yeah. But if Wizards of the Coast fail, then someone else isn't picking it up. You know, Wizards yeah. of the Coast saved TSR and made it bigger. You need these big things out there. So we want the film to do well, because yeah. then we will get, you know, maybe I, we get a Deadlands film or we get... I would, well, I would like to... Okay, there's that, obviously. There's the possibility of other properties, either other games entirely or other D&D &D settings. I would also like to see these characters and this overall story. I'd like to see it grow more. Like, I, I'd like yeah. to see... I'm not a big For Forgotten Realms fan. I don't know a whole ton about it. It's really not my thing. Maybe um, an Eberron film, please. But... Uh, or Dark Sun. Eh, yeah. But uh, but I do. It would be interesting to see what these folks, if some, if there's another film and some of these same ones are involved in it. Like I mean, the writers. Yeah. What what? Where else would they choose? What would they choose? What storylines would they choose to develop that are sitting there in all these decades of of lore uh, for for Forgotten Realms? I would yeah. personally like to see it. But I agree, well, you're right. We we hope that the <clears throat> film does well in order to send a signal to the market, to the producers of yeah. movies to do more, more good stuff. I think they're looking at doing a TV show. Now I can't yeah. imagine, you know, Chris Pine is not going to be in a TV show. No, he's film guy. Um, but some of the, you know, you can imagine these guys, these, these could be in a TV show. Um, so I, I assume that TV show is meant to have some kind of overlap with a film, but there's certainly, you know, there's a whole bunch of other worlds they can go into that. 
I mean, I keep hearing that they're, they're, you know, there's a Dragonlance thing in the back. That's what That's- I've heard, that the TV series is Dragonlance. But Dragonlance are the kind of thing that would work as a film because it's like big, epic, big things. Or you can do it more low-key and, and do it as a thing. Uh, I mean, this could have been a TV series and they chose to do it as a film. But, you know, D- D&D works both. We've said this previously, you, you know, your big set pieces with massive things, that's what works in a film. If it's a TV series, you can build the characters and you have more NPCs and you have more yeah. time to go things in. Like we said, that was more like a campaign. Um, so this, you know, this has shown at least it can work as a, as a, as a film, um, you know, and it can definitely work as a TV series because we have the Vox Machina thing, which is yeah. a TV series. So, yeah, yeah. so it's, I'm, I'm, I enjoyed it. I'm glad it's doing well. I hope it, like you said, I hope it has a kind of a longer life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think streaming's meant we don't see that longer. You know, you used to have films back in the day that they would do okay in the cinema and then they'd make a fortune on on video and then Blu-ray yeah. or DVD. That doesn't really happen anymore because everything just goes onto a streaming platform. Yeah. And so people just watch them. Um, I mean, I remember I used to, like every Christmas, I would buy the films that Christmas that would yeah. come out that year on DVD. I don't do that anymore. No. Because no. everything I know is just on a streaming platform. I can just watch it whenever I feel like yeah. So I, I don't buy DVDs anymore. I can't. Yeah, I, hope, like I, say, I, I, I hope it does well. Slow burn, long, long, you know, longer life. Um, and, uh, but yeah, definitely it's, it's, it's worth watching. If you're a GM, forget about it if you're a player, go watch it if you're a player. But for a GM, if you've seen it once, go see it again and think through how would this be modeled in the rules? That's, that's, I would, I'm going to go see it again and, and look at it from that eye so I can, not ignore, but I get the story. I got it already. Now I can pay attention to that. And and I think that you're right that taking the advice of maybe running it as like, if you have a game that's either going to be short, a short story arc, or you're you're bringing a chapter or a campaign to a close, and you want to run a big high action set piece type of thing, I, I think that this is... Um, you know what? And also, though, without going, I think there's a point where you jump the shark and it just gets kind of silly. Like yeah. so many of the scenes in The Hobbit, most of The Hobbit, it was like fanfic, is what it was. Yeah. The whole thing with the like the the Indiana Jones Temple of Doom, like the 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 race in the Goblin, that would with the, the that was silly. The the bouncing uh, Donkey Kong barrels. Um, the, the, the molten, the friggin' molten dwarf statue and the fact that that room would have had to have been like 50 or 70 feet. De- it just was ridiculous. Like here's me sitting in the movie theater being like, there's nowhere near as much enough gold in that damn statue to fill a basin large enough to fit a damn dragon in. This is stupid. That, that's yeah. me going sideways in a movie. So I think there's a point where big high action set piece scenes can get stupid because it's just like everything's cranked up to 11. It's just too much. I think the scene in the, the, the arena didn't do that. It did high no. action, but it didn't get stupid. Well, because it still kept everything down on a relatively low like level. That What was happening to the characters? Yeah, um, you know they weren't blowing yeah. up the whole stadium or anything properly crazy. Um, yeah, I think you know it, it's a good film. It fits the characters' backstories in without dragging anything out. It doesn't, you know, it just it just yeah. it, it worked relatively well. That's a nice example of a GM kind of going, "What I'm I'm going to dictate things here," um, which yeah, I don't know. It depends what your players are like. 
maybe some players are happy with the idea that the GM is uh, can occasionally, you know, like the example earlier, you said that in 2D20, it's fine. You can throw a complication in because if you rolled that, there's nothing, you know, you can have success at cost in D&D. Sure. It doesn't spell it out very well. It's a more modern concept really than 5E is. Um, maybe in the next verse is that it can explicitly spell out, well, if your character's failed the role, then choose to have the role succeed, but with a complication, right. spell it out a bit more. Because that's what happens loads of times in this film. Like, you know, it worked, but not the way they planned. Right. Well, it doesn't really happen in D&D. Right. So it's a perfect example of how to throw in a bunch of that stuff. But yeah, yeah I really enjoyed it. I think it's, um, and we would say it's probably the best film I've seen this year, but it's a really low bar because it's like Ant-Man wasn't great and neither was Shazam. <laughs> well, the, the last movie I saw in the theater before this was Maverick. So I just don't go see movies that often yeah. because they're mostly not good. Maverick was great. Maverick was great. So, all right. Good deal. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash Fluff and Crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much. <laughs>